Welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny and I'm joined today as always by my co-host Brian Wells, along with a special guest host, our former co-host Benjamin Carlson. Ben comes on, He's Done It, to help us talk NFL free agency as We react to the Patriots uh, making a lot of big moves in the opening days of free agency, as well as some other notable signings like the Chiefs adding Joe Tooney to help bolster their offensive line, Bud Dupree leaving Pittsburgh for a big deal with Tennessee, and Shaquille Barrett re-upping with the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We also talk March Madness. We give some uh, bracket insights, a little bit of predictions. And uh, I will say that if you have not joined the He's Done It Bracket Pool left and you're listening before Friday at noon, you still have time to do so. Uh, We would love to add another entry to the pool. Finally, we wrap up today's episode by counting down our top five Irish things in honor of St. Patrick's Day. So with that, let's get started. We have the uh, the original crew back together with uh, with Ben joining us today. Yes, I'm always happy to join the crew here at He's Done It to talk some some football and some other sports as well. Yes, and uh, if you're a, a longtime listener of He's Done It, at this point you are well aware that Ben is known for his other podcast, Affable Chat, and. Uh, you know, it almost feels like calling Affable Chat a podcast is like calling Leonardo da Vinci a painter because you're so much more than a podcast these days. Like, I, I would almost argue that you're more of a Twitch stream right now than you are of a podcast. Well, you know, we're on all the social medias and all the content creation platforms. Uh, wherever you can find us, you'll be able to find the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> so check us out wherever you get podcasts or on Twitch or, you know, all the other places, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. Yeah, and um, I I did go on the Affable Chat stream yesterday to, or I guess, you know, Tuesday night at this point, whenever you're listening to it, talked a little NFL free agency, talked about a lot of other stuff. It was like, when I say a little NFL free agency, it was a little and a lot of Irish hurling and English sports. I don't know if it's possible for uh, any any listeners who weren't able to catch it live to go back and watch it? Oh, yes. No, our VODs are on this Twitch stream for two months after the live stream. So okay. uh, if you want to see Corey's appearance, you can check that out. And you can see Corey's appearance where we d- debated uh, the... Ezekiel like, Elliott and Derrick Henry. Yes, that's on our YouTube channel, actually. Just search. Okay. I was going to say, because that was like just over two months ago, so that one's gone. But yes. All right. Yeah, the YouTube But enough of my plugs. Long. Enough of my plugs. <laughs> let's let's just talk some let's talk let's, some sports. Let's talk some NFL free agency. 
And uh, what better way to start this off than by talking about the team that has been making the most headlines throughout the first couple days of the legal tampering period, which is now the official new league year, and that is the New England Patriots. So a lot of questions coming into the offseason. What would the Patriots do? Not only did uh, they let Tom Brady go last offseason, but he goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and immediately wins the Super Bowl while the Patriots finish 7-9. and nine. Never really in the thick of things when it came to the playoff picture, let alone Super Bowl contenders. But the Patriots had a ton of cap space, and they've certainly put it to good use, or at least put it to use. And uh, I think it's a good time to turn to our resident Patriots fan, Brian. What are your thoughts on the moves from the past few days? Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of moves that they've made and the amount of money that's been given out to the players that they've signed in free agency and I remember Corey and I we talked about we talked about this after the Super Bowl that even though it was great that Tom Brady won it kind of sucked a little bit as a Patriots fan because I was thinking hey this is going to be a hard draw for players to sign in New England if if Tom Brady is now in Tampa and the Patriots are going seven and nine and and Belichick doesn't isn't really known to pay players and he's known as a hard difficult coach to to play for and so for me I thought it was going to be a really hard draw for for players to come to New England but that was proven completely false because we signed a ton of players and including two of the biggest tight end free agents in the in the market in Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and uh, I'm definitely a fan of those additions now is it a little bit an overpayment yes but I don't care because the Patriots are desperate for tight ends and they drafted two of them last year and Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, but both of those were not great options. And to show you how bad the tight ends were for the Patriots last season, they were last in receptions, second to last in re- receiving yards, tied for last in receiving touchdowns, and receptions on first down. Would you like to take a guess? Last. He- survey says... <laughs> <laughs> yes, last. They were basically last in everything when it comes to the when it came to the tight end position. So I'm definitely a fan of those moves, and and especially when you factor in, let's say Cam Newton is going to be the starter, which I would hate if they, especially if they could get Garoppolo or whomever in the draft. If they have the opportunity to do that, I would want them to do that. But especially since Cam Newton, I think is now washed. But if they really go with Cam Newton. As the starting quarterback, I think it's I think those two guys can really help because when you look at what Cam Newton did in Carolina, in my opinion, I think his best target was Greg Olson, or at least where he was most productive throwing to Greg Olson. So he I never think, had receivers in Carolina. He, so. Yeah, he had he had what Ted Ginn and and a couple other guys. But he had I think Kelvin Kel- Benjamin. Uh, for Kelvin a couple Benjamin. Years. Yeah, yeah, for for a little bit, but. It was really Greg Olson. He was the main target in that offense. So I think, I think if, for Cam, it's going to help. It's going to help Cam a lot if if he were the starting quarterback. Well, speaking of Cam, um, you, you mentioned earlier that you know Belichick has this kind of reputation as kind of a hard coach to play for. Do you feel like that changed at all after Cam Newton came out and said how cool of a guy Bill Belichick is? I, I think don't know a if li- you guys saw I, that. I, I think a little bit, just because I think Belichick has had to. He's had to be softer on players now more than ever, especially with Brady not there. I think he has to uh, 
be a more player friendly coach and and oh and overpay for some of the players that he signed in free agency as well so yeah i would agree with that yeah especially with brady going down to tampa and being like i'm just gonna party hard and win the super bowl is like kind of a big difference from the patriot way and do your job that's another thing not only did tom brady win without Belichick, but he was also having plenty of fun as <laughs> as we saw in the Super Bowl. Yeah. He's making party TikToks, on the... he's getting drunk, he's he's throwing, throwing the trophy, Super Bowl trooper, Super Bowl uh, trophy directly into the river and being like, I've got six more at home. So <laughs> it, it's uh yeah, I think I think that all has influenced Bill Belichick uh into maybe being a little bit cooler quote unquote but uh another question i have for you just because he's a returning patriots player i've always been a big fan of trent brown i was upset when he left the 49ers but um i've always thought of him as one of the better tackles in this league but now here he is switching teams again so uh what do you think about acquiring trent brown for the patriots i like it the the thing with trent brown though is that He's really known to be sort of lazy, and that's what he was in, in Las Vegas, where he just he, he took the money and really did not put in the, the full effort that they wanted out of him. And so now he's back in New England, and I, I, I think it works for them because those were his best seasons when he was in New England and was working his butt off and trying to get that prove-it deal. And I, I think for New England specifically, it, it can work. So I'm a yeah, fan he's a mount. He's a mountain of yeah. A man. He's he's huge. Like what six eight and like nearly four hundred pounds. Yeah. Yes. Guy's like he's just yeah immense. And he was a seventh round draft pick for the 49ers. I mean, just talk about a come up. And uh, I think it's another big move for these Patriots. Yeah, the Patriots have been making a ton of moves these past few days, and like. In some ways, I think it's fair to kind of criticize the money that they're throwing at guys. Like, I'm I'm surprised that they're spending $25 million on tight ends. I'm surprised they gave Nelson Aguilar $13 million a year as one that, of the top receivers, like first receivers to be paid. That that was one of them where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that one. Because there are other free agent receivers on the market. Now, I'm not saying that they should go out and sp- spend all the money to get Ken- Kenny Galladay, but uh, I feel... There's Curtis Curtis Samuel's still out there, and I thought he would make a good fit. In the I know a lot of Patriots fans are clamoring for Samuel. Versatile receiver, and uh, yeah, thirteen million per per. Year. Now I don't know what the guaranteed money is exactly, but I, I'm not a huge fan of the move. But regardless, they do need some weapons at receiver, so I'm well, I'm okay with it. Well, let me ask you this: uh, going back to the tight ends, do you feel like this is going to be a resurgence of the Patriots' dual tight end offense, kind of like the Gronk Hernandez days? I mean, yeah, it's not going. Well, well, hold on. Or this is what I think it's going to be: it's going to be Hunter Henry tight end one until he inevitably gets injured, and then Jonu Smith is now tight end one, and it's more about just having the versatile replacement for the inevitable need of replacing hunter henry yeah that, that, that's a good point i mean gronk he he was as great as he was he always he, he got hurt a lot and hernandez when he was in new england and alive he was more definitely more durable than gronk so i i can see it. it's not gonna be that good but i i'm glad that they have those two options on yeah i think it's an interesting now. tactic to just 
because it's football. People get hurt. It's like we literally know you're going to get hurt, so we've got a like similarly talented backup who can just j- jump right in. I don't know. I assume they'll also be on the field at the same time at different times, but I do. I think that you have to. Uh, it's like an added level of comfort knowing that you have two really good receiving tight ends. If that's going to be a big part of the offense, which it seems like it will. It's funny because those are like the same kind of thoughts that people were throwing out last year when the Steelers signed Eric Ebron, pairing him with Vance McDonald. And it's just like, all right, that feels like such a huge drop down compared to Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I I thought that the Johnny Smith signing made a lot of sense to the Patriots in terms of him over Hunter Henry, particularly in a Cam Newton offense, just knowing how versatile Smith is, even as a runner. Like he's not a guy who's going to go out and be like a thousand yard receiving tight end, but he can can add some gadget trick plays that you don't don't necessarily expect from a guy of that size I assume that the Patriots will find a way to uh, make Henry part of the offense but I I can't help but feel like Henry and Aguilar would be much better with a quarterback next year who's not Cam Newton who maybe has a little more you know arm strength and accuracy at this point in his uh his his football career so uh to me I think that looking at the Patriots offseason to this point and trying to judge it is maybe maybe a little too early um but even then it it could be like this these moves make a lot more sense in 2022 than they do in 2021 I'm just I'm just glad that they're making moves in the offseason because uh they could have easily just thought hey you know what Cam he got COVID uh, we had a lot of opt outs, so we'll be fine. We're not going to sign anyone, and I think we could still we could still make the playoffs. No big deal. But no, they they look at back at last season and think, hey, no, we we are never going seven and nine again. We can't do this. We can't do this all over again. So let's let's try to get some not only sign uh, all these players, but the fact that they signed them this early is also is a sign to me that hey, they're going to try to appease the fan base and maybe other free agents out there that are thinking, hey, New England is really taking things seriously. Maybe I should go there. I don't know. That's just me. I do have a bit of breaking news for the podcast. I just checked Twitter, and it seems that the Raiders are signing 49, former 49ers defensive lineman Solomon Thomas to a one-year deal worth up to $5 million. The former number three overall pick who the 49ers decided was going to have a better career than Deshaun Watson and slash or Patrick Mahomes uh, finds himself a new team. All right. He was uh, famously traded for Mitchell Trubisky. So, and uh, he, right. he gets the, a, the, the, the new Bears, deal before him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Bears yeah. jumped up one spot, uh, but I, I mean, still a pretty bad pick from the 49ers if this ends up if he never ends up playing another snap for the 49ers which obviously he's not on the team it's pretty unlikely he'd ever return definitely looks like the 49ers missed on that one yeah yeah i think that's uh that's pretty fair at this point um Speaking of 49ers, let's uh, let's move on and how about you talk about uh, we'll, we'll go through a three each uh, notable free agent signings and how about you start off with one by your 49ers arguably the biggest one just give definitely the player. definitely um, huge very important big money deal we uh, the 49ers signed Trent Williams to a six year 138 million dollar deal which is a lot of money and a lot of time to commit to a uh older player with Trent Williams being 32 but this man is a generational talent and an athletic freak if anyone can play into their mid to late 30s it's this guy and he's also the keystone of the 49ers offensive line I still can't believe how fortunate the 49ers were able 
to be when they landed him to replace potential Hall of Famer Joe Staley at left tackle. Um, And now it looks like Trent Williams will also retire as a 49er. Uh, So that just means good things for whoever's going to be playing quarterback for the 49ers, whether that's Jimmy Garoppolo or you know, Deshaun Watson or anybody else who, who ends up being playing uh, the quarterback for the 49ers. Uh, Trent Williams isn't one of the best offensive linemen in the entire league in the 49ers. He's worth every penny, um, even though he is very expensive. Yeah. And the, so in my opinion, in terms of the best pickup at, at the lineman position, I think it was Joe Tooney for the chiefs. He was a longtime Patriot uh, for the past five seasons. Did not miss one game in five years with the Patriots, which is something that was an issue for the Kansas City Chiefs in the worst possible time because they lost two of their two of their starting tackles. Now Joe Tony is not a tackle, but he has played at right tackle at times and he's played at center at times. But primarily, he's a guard. Regardless, I think it's a great move for Kansas City. I mean, we we saw in the Super Bowl how awful their line looked uh, versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think that would have helped a lot. If a better O line, better O line play would have gave the Chiefs a much better chance in that game, and I I like the signing. So I so yeah, Joe Tooney was probably probably my favorite signing out of all the signings that have happened in terms of biggest impact for their team. Yeah, offensive line was was certainly an issue for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I heard a lot of talks about them being connected to Trent Williams, and, and just given like the loss of Eric Fisher and Mitchell Sports, I think that would have been a bigger signing for the Chiefs, but still being able to scoop up a guy like Joe Tooney, it was widely regarded as the best interior offensive lineman on the market, is uh, not a bad consolation prize. So the first guy I want to throw out is... Carl Lawson, who signed a three-year, $45 million deal with the New York Jets, $30 million guaranteed. And uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I'm pretty sure since 2016, the Jets have spent $341 million in guaranteed money on free agents. And yet, they are that's the most throughout the league. And yet, they're 32nd when it comes to win-loss record in that time. So, the Jets have definitely... Uh, been big spenders this time of year, but they haven't been big winners when uh, it really matters uh, September to December. All that being said, I really like this signing for the Jets. I think that Carl Lawson is the kind of player who can come in and make an immediate impact with the Jets and actually be worth the kind of money that they're spending. If you look at his stats, they don't necessarily jump out of you, given that he only had five and a half sacks last season. But if you kind of look at the pro football focus numbers, he uh, had 44 pressures, which was the fourth most in the league. 26 quarterback knockdowns led the league. He had a a pass rush win win rate of nearly 20% in a pressure rate of nearly 15%. I, I expect those numbers to continue. And he, really, last season was the first time the Bengals gave him the opportunity to play a, a meaningful role as a starter. And he made the most of it. Uh, and I, I think that the Jets are actually getting a really solid pickup. Um, you know, We'll see. It's the Jets. And it, they, they have a bad, bad history of free agency. But uh, I, I do like this move a lot for them. So staying in New York, uh, the next signing I want to talk about is big Leonard Williams signing a three-year, $63 million deal uh, to stay with the Giants. He's coming off the best season of his career, and he demanded more than just a franchise tag, which I thought was uh, kind of impressive that he was actually able to get more than just the franchise tag. I know that a lot of players aren't a big fan 
They would prefer to get longer contracts, and Leonard is able to get that done. And I think, I, I you know, I, I think it's frustrating sometimes when a defensive lineman can have one big year, get a contract, and then regress to the mean and, and maybe not be worth it as much, which I am afraid could happen with Leonard Williams, especially because this one year he's had was a like standout compared to the rest of his career. But I will say Leonard Williams is extremely durable. He's only missed one game in his entire career playing for both the Jets and the Giants. And the the Giants defense needs quality players. If Leonard Williams can stay on the field and play at an above average level, I think this is a smart signing to retain uh, Leonard Williams. And, um, you know, hopefully he'll help the Giants get better. Now, there are a lot of question marks when the Giants traded, I believe, a third-round pick to the Jets for Leonard Williams in 2019. Uh, given that at the time he was an expiring free agent, he played on the franchise tag in Big Blue last year. And I, I do think it's great that he was able to reach a long-term deal. And, you know, Dave Gettleman gets a lot of heat uh, from some of the moves that he's made, but the Leonard Williams one feels like it's one that surprisingly worked out. Maybe we should give this guy a better chance than, uh, than Giants fans have given him. So the second signing that I would like to talk about is uh, free safety John Johnson uh, the third uh, signing. He signed with the Cleveland Browns for three years, th- $33.75 million. And I think it's a great signing for the Browns, just given that even though that they made a big jump from last season uh, in terms of just m- making it to the playoffs and almost being Kansas City and and possibly could go even further next year. They did not have that great of a pass defense. They were actually bottom 10 in uh, pass defense production. And I think John Johnson in their secondary can really help out. And not only does it help out their secondary, but I actually think it could help out their running game or their run defense. John Johnson was actually the Rams' leading tackler last season. Not Aaron Donald, not Jalen Ramsey, not Leonard Leonard Floyd. It was actually John Johnson who led the team in tackles throughout the regular season and the postseason. And I I think it's great value for what what they paid John Johnson and for and it fills a need for them. So I'm I'm definitely a fan of that signing. And I'm I, sure probably Corey is not. Well, I was yeah, exactly. Corey's not, and I, by the same virtue, am a fan of it because to see John Johnson exit the division is a great is great news for the rest of the NFC West. Uh, this guy was everywhere. This guy is a playmaker, and uh, yeah, I think it's a great pickup by the Browns for for a great price. You know, as as a neutral Big J journalist, I'm a fan of this signing for the Browns. But of course, as a Steelers fan, I would I would much rather him not be in Cleveland anymore. He was a huge part of that Rams defense. It was great. Big last J year. journalist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess speaking of Pittsburgh, my next team that my next guy that I'll throw out is Bud Dupree, and I'm just gonna start off by saying that this is a big loss for the Steelers. Uh, I knew that it would be very difficult for the Steelers to be able to retain Bud Dupree given their cap situation, even if the team just decided to straight up release Ben Roethlisberger, um, just given that Dupree was going to cost a lot of money. And I'll start off by saying I'm super happy that he got paid. He was a huge part of the Steelers' defense the past couple of years, big part of Blitzburg, the, the defense that led the league in sacks four years in a row. And I'm glad that he chose Tennessee instead of Cleveland, where he had been kind of rumored to, because I have no issue with the Titans. And, you know, I know they're both in the AFC, but the Browns being in the AFC North uh, makes facing Dupree twice a year not very desirable. Um, 
So I guess just focusing on it from a Titans perspective. Bud Dupree tore his ACL last season, and there's reasons to be concerned about that, at, given that he's a pass rusher. You know, his explosiveness is a big thing. Uh, but you kind of look at this in the same vein as you talk about Dak Prescott and his contract with the Cowboys, where it's like there is substantial proof to say that the Steelers are better with Bud Dupree, given that they were 11-0 and when he got injured and 1-5 and the rest of the way. And I, I'm certainly rooting for him. I hope that he ends up, you know, being worth this contract, worth him leaving Pittsburgh because he, uh, you know, he, he's meant so much to the Steelers. But I, I can't help but be a little concerned, not even just coming off the injury. The fact that um, he he just had a 14 percent pass rush win rate. There are like a lot of talks about, oh, how much of it was his production was him just cleaning up sacks, you know, rather than being the the actual initiator. And a lot of people would talk about Juju Smith-Schuster where it's like, how much, you know, is he really a number one or is he just a really good number two who needs a great number one like Antonio Brown to shine? How much of that can be said with Bud Dupree and a guy like TJ Watt? Not to mention, he also had Stephon Tewitt and Cam Hayward helping him rush the passer. Tennessee Titans only had 19 sacks all of last season. They need all the pass rush help they can get. They were desperate to bring in a big name. Last year, they brought in Jadavion Clowney. He was supposed to be a huge name. He had zero sacks with the team. So I'm a little concerned that Dupree is not going to live up to the $16.5 million that he'll be paid the next couple seasons. Uh, but you know the, the Titans are a team that need pass rush help, and it would be, it would be cool to see him have success still. Definitely. It's it's always uh, tough to, to find good pass rush. It's such a premium position, um, but it can also be just a massive waste of money. Uh, so it's always a risk. I'll, I'll refer you to D Ford of the 49ers, who has <laughs> been collecting a, a big old paycheck uh, for not a lot. And I mean, his is specifically injuries, but even when he's been on the field, he hasn't lived up to it. So it's it's something that, you, you know, as a tit- Titans fan, if you were a Titans fan, you would probably like to see a big name like that signed, but also... Yeah, what are you really getting? So um, sticking to pass rush, uh, I want to talk about my third big free agency signing, which is uh, Shaq Barrett re-signing with the Buccaneers four years, $72 million. Uh, The championship window in Tampa is as wide as I think it's ever been. They have Tom Brady, and as long as they've got him surrounded by a good team, they have a chance to go all the way. I think the theme for this offseason for them is keep the band together. And part of that, a massive part of that, is going to be retaining a good pass rush. Massive part of the pass rush is Shaq Barrett. So, um, you know, he didn't have as good of a year this past year as he did when he led the league in sacks but uh he still had a great year for a pass rusher and they won a super bowl so uh in the interest of keeping the the band together they signed him for a pretty long deal and i don't know all the exact you know breakdown of how this goes years into the future i never do with nfl contracts but if he does end up playing out this contract he'll have been a buccaneer for longer than he was a bronco which i think is pretty cool like to to take a look at his career and what he's done since arriving in tampa is um it's really he's really turned everything around yeah i'm also a fan of that resigning and yeah run it back i i definitely want that to happen and i'm glad that they i'm glad that the bucks were able to keep a lot of the key guys like levante david like shaq barrett and um oh yeah and tom brady yeah yeah, that guy and, Gronk. <laughs> and, and Gronk. Gronk and, and Gronk. Chris Godwin um you know they they're really 
keeping the band together and they're trying to run it back, which is exactly what you should do right now. Don't get stingy with your money when the championship window is this wide open. So the last guy that I would like to talk about is also a re-signing, and it's for a team that lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the postseason, and that is uh, Aaron Jones with the Green Bay Packers. He signed, he re-signed with the Packers for four years, $48 million. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I, I like Aaron Jones a lot. I think he's at least a top 10, maybe top five running back in the league, and I think it's good that they brought him back because Jamal Williams, their previous backup running back, is now in Detroit. And A.J. Dillon, I was not a f- if I were a Packers fan, I would not have been a fan of that draft pick. And I don't see it getting much better. Uh, so I'm, it's a good thing for them that they brought back Aaron Jones. But four years, $48 million, 12 per year, depending on guaranteed money. Uh, I don't know if I love that amount of money to that position. I I guess I want to hear your guys' thoughts on do you think it was worth worth it to bring back Aaron Jones at that money or do you think they should have tried to find another running back at cheaper money? I mean, generally, I don't like paying running backs. As much as that hurts to say, I, I feel like you're risking a lot on a position that A, can get injured, and B, you can find replacements at a pretty easy uh, value. Like, you can find undrafted guys you know later round guys just cheaper guys who can give you similar output now i'm not saying that every running back is aaron jones aaron jones is obviously really talented but there's a salary cap there's other players you've got to pay it's really hard to justify paying running backs in the nfl that's kind of how i feel about it even though i'm even though i as much as i like aaron jones i don't know if paying that much money is worth it at that position yeah, I mean, the history of running backs you know, living up to expectations on second contracts is very, very small. And I I mean, Aaron Jones is a really good running back, but I don't know that he's like the exception to that rule. Um, I, I agree with you in that I think it's a really bad waste of resources in terms of you know the salary cap. And I, I would have much rather seen, you know, if I was a Packers fan or just looking at it from a, a football fan perspective, seeing the Packers pay their all-pro center Corey Lindsley who got a similar deal, you know, five years, sixty-two and a half a million, same kind of twelve million per year range that Jones got with the Packers. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's that's what helps Jones be successful in other running backs is having a really solid offensive line, and uh, I can definitely see the Packers regretting that one sooner rather than later. Not to mention, like it, it just seems like they're so backwards with how they acquire weapons for uh, Aaron Rodgers, where it's like, no, 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 no. we're not going to waste draft capital on a wide receiver, but we'll pay massive money for a running back. It, like, here's your weapons, Aaron Rodgers. It's like, ah, I just don't feel like they're managing like the remaining years of Aaron Rodgers all that well. Like, this feels like an extension of that. So many people hated the Jordan Love pick, and I don't blame people for saying that. But my thing was, if 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 the Packers identified him as, hey, he's the next guy, then fine, uh, all power to them. I, if I were Packers fan, I would have hated the AJ Dillon pick a lot more, just because. All right, we got our future franchise quarterback. Now let's try to help Rodgers with some receivers or, or whatever. Especially in a draft that was supposed to be, was known as like the deepest wide receiver class in in years, and they didn't address that position well enough and and they 
sort of regret it probably right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so real quickly, I do have another breaking news. The uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are signing Kyle Long, who's coming out of retirement. So we talked about them missing out on Trent Williams and up with Joe Tooney. Now they address the offensive tackle, at least one of them. So Long goes, you know, former Bear, now with the Chiefs. And uh, speaking of the Bears, that gets into uh, my last guy I'll throw out, the final free agent that we'll talk about. And that is Andy Dalton, who signed a one-year, $10 million deal with the Chicago Bears. Now, I'd like to start off by saying I'm not a Bears fan. I, I, I really bought into the Bears a couple years ago when they went 12-4 in 2018, won the NFC North. I thought that they were going to go uphill. like they, they, were gonna, they were just rising. That was the beginning. I didn't think that was the peak, like just a very quick peak and then immediately come back down to earth like they have the past couple seasons. And you know, th- all that being said, not a Bears fan. I think that it is a shame that an organization that has you know such storied in the NFL is so poorly run from top to bottom. It starts with you know the McCaskies and goes all the way down to the incompetent general manager Ryan Pace and the head coach that should not be a head coach despite winning coach of the year a couple years ago in Matt Nagy. And look, I get it. You can't force the Seahawks to trade you Russell Wilson. You can't force the Texans to trade you Deshaun Watson. You can't even force Jameis Winston to come to Chicago after a year in New Orleans. But that doesn't mean you have to pay Andy Dalton $10 million. Like, is he that much of an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles that you're going to give him that kind of contract where it's like, oh, yeah, hey, we, we tried. We offered three first-round picks for uh, you know Russell Wilson. John Snyder and Pete Carroll said, no, we're not trading him. I guess we're just going to bring in Andy Dalton. Like, is that the natural progression? Like, I, I would be so frustrated if I'm a Bears fan. And it's it's been really entertaining from a neutral-ish perspective to see like Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport like subtly roast the Bears the past couple of days ever since the signing was made. Like one of my uh, my favorite ones. This is from uh, Adam Schefter talking about Trent Williams. He said Trent Williams also discussed deals with the Chiefs and the Bears. The Chiefs wound up with signing Joe Tooney. The Bears signed Andy Dalton and Jermaine Effetti. <laughs> like. You know, yeah, it's you miss out on a generational Hall of Fame left tackle. Instead, they get a Fetty who is like a bust first round pick in Andy Dalton. So that is uh, that it's been a, a rough couple of days for Bears fans. Picking up Andy Dalton is the most Bears move ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't think of the last time they had a quarterback that I would trust not to win football games. They, they Such such a long list of bad quarterbacks that they've had. And they could have had Watson or Mahomes. As much as uh, I know that, like, the 49ers, I feel like we mostly just roast ourselves because most people don't even, like, anybody who drafted someone besides Watson or Mahomes technically should be, you know, held accountable. Uh, but the Bears literally drafted a quarterback. <laughs> Traded up? Traded up yeah. for a quarterback? <laughs> I mean, geez. The Onion released an article when Mitchell Trubisky got drafted and it said it was a quote from him is like um I just want to win football games says quarterback who will get everyone fired and it was so right like, well you say that it's so right and yet Ryan Pace four years later still has a job true fair fair I, I guess the direct firings didn't happen but him being bad it was like implied yeah. by that and they uh, were spot on yeah I said 
you know, back in December when the Bears lost to the Lions, blew a 10-point lead with five minutes to go to fall to 5-7. and seven. Now is the time to fire Ryan Bass and Matt Nagy. Don't accidentally win a few games in the season to make the playoffs. <laughs> and what do they do? They win a few games to make the playoffs, and then it's like, oh, but we don't want Mitch as our quarterback anymore. We're going to bring in the red rifle, Andy Dalton. And the, the fact that he, $10 million to this guy, he played what $3 million from the Cowboys last year. So not only could they have gotten him a year ago for half the price, they also decided to give up a fourth round pick for Nick Foles, who's now going to you know, be a backup to Andy Dalton. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's really sad and really unfortunate. And I, I can't help but feel for Bears fans. So uh, I guess that'll that'll wrap things up for NFL free agency, though. Let's uh, let's move on to a different sport, and that is college basketball. As March Madness is getting set to tip off this weekend, Thursday night we have playing games, and then Friday, Saturday, first round wall to wall action. After not having a tournament last year, I think just about any sports fan is very excited to have college basketball March Madness back. And let's uh, let's kind of talk about this. Now, I think before we get too far into this, I do want to say that I don't necessarily want to sit here and just throw out every single prediction. Be like, this is my bracket. This is who I'm going to the final four. Like, this is who's winning. And I, th- there are a couple of reasons for that. So one reason is I feel like whenever we talk about March Madness uh, on the podcast, which in the past, we've definitely talked about it earlier in the week. We're recording on a Wednesday. There's not much time left. I feel like if I throw out picks, I'm kind of locked into them. I can't change my bracket uh, just because I've thrown it out on the air. And now it's like I'm second guessing myself. Um, So that's one reason. Another reason is, I mean, I I think that we kind of talked about this, at least Brian and I, we have multiple brackets that kind of mean something. So maybe like one bracket will pick a team to win these games and another will look very different. Uh, And that's something that I kind of want to talk about. uh, Just kind of, you know, teams that we can see doing really well and maybe getting bounced poorly. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's kind of the the one thing I wanted to get out of the way first. So now let's kind of get into this. And one of the biggest stories of the entire season has been the uh, kind of the downfall of the Blue Bloods. So we ended up with Kansas being a three seed. But after that, there's a big drop off. North Carolina gets in as an eight. Michigan State, UCLA in the play-in game. And of course, the big one, no Kentucky, no Duke. So first time since 1976 that both of those teams are out of the bracket. And what else happened the, for the last time in 1976? The Indiana Hoosiers won the national championship with an undefeated record. Last time we've had an undefeated team in men's college basketball. And wouldn't you know, number one overall seed in this bracket, the Gonzaga Bulldogs of 26-0. So let's start with the West region. And I guess my first question for you guys is, do you want to see Gonzaga go undefeated? Do you want to see that that break or would you rather them not so i just have like my hard rule on things like this is that um it would be such a storybook movie ending for the undefeated team to like go all the way and like be the perfect team but it's not satisfying when it's in a movie because it's scripted this is real life i think that perfection is always interesting when it's real when it's sports uh you know when it's, it's actually earned so um yeah i wouldn't mind seeing it i think it would be pretty cool i guess for me personally it was very heartbreaking when the patriots went 18 and 0 and then lost 
in the biggest game uh, on the biggest stage and going 18-1 and one and not completing the, the perfect season. And I wouldn't want to see that uh, with another team. Well, I guess the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe, with Tom, since Tom Brady is there now. I wouldn't want to see, other than that, I wouldn't want to see it with any other team in football. But in college basketball, yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I don't have anything against Gonzaga, and they've had they've obviously have had a great year. So I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. And like Ben said, I think it's rewarding to see perfection. And I think Gonzaga has been knocking on the door f- for a little while now because they they almost won it all in 2017. They've been a one seed several other years. But so I think this is the time for Gonzaga to to pull it off. So yeah, I w- I wouldn't mind seeing it. See, the biggest reason why I asked that is because I can't help but feel like I don't want to see it happen. And I don't know if I have a great reason for that because I don't really have anything against Gonzaga. Like, I know they beat South Carolina in the national semifinals when you were talking about in 2017. But, I mean, I, I thought I was just happy to be there in the Final Four as a Gamecocks fan. I was expecting to lose that one. So it, it, it's not as heartbreaking for me. And like, oh, I'm... I'm anti-Gonzaga for the rest of my life but there's just something about it and I don't know if it's I just don't want to see history made like I'd rather see a team that I actually like like make this kind of history but I can't help but feel like I don't want Gonzaga to win and all that being said I I think they they're the best team in the country and have a really good shot at pulling that off I will fully admit that if it were Kansas that that was 26 and 0 and had a chance to pull off the perfect season then I'd be like no screw that no I, I don't want to see it so I'll admit I have to fa- factor in the team that is undefeated because Gonzaga I don't have anything against them but if it were Kansas for me or Duke for you mm-hmm. uh, or Clemson for you guys that were that was undefeated in in this I then yeah we would have reasons to root for against the perfect season but I like I literally don't know or I don't have anything against Gonzaga, so that's why I I guess I wouldn't mind it. But I I kind of agree with the, what you said that there's a part of me and part of us that's like, do I really want to see history be made? I don't know. So I'll admit, maybe I'm flip flopping as well. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with like saying the your impression of the team or your relationship to the team matters. I, I have nothing against Gonzaga. Like Corey said, I know they beat the Gamecocks in 2017, but I. That doesn't hurt my feelings. Like, I did you would, know I think, that? Like, did you remember it was Gonzaga that beat us? Yeah, okay. yeah. I, well, because I remember, um, like, we were we did hate Gonzaga briefly <laughs> after that, yeah. Um, yeah. but it wasn't. Uh, like, I don't know. I I only know them from them playing basketball. So I feel like they're a good school for basketball. Like, uh, my relationship to them doesn't really go beyond just knowing that they're good. And uh, I don't know. I like to see perfection. I'm not petty enough to hold on to that loss this long and still, you know, feel some type of way about Gonzaga. <laughs> especially how far the Gamecocks went in that tournament, and especially given that they're not really known as a basketball, well, women's basketball, yes, but yeah. men's basketball, not really. And they, the fact that they made it all the way to the Final Four is, is pretty incredible already. So, yeah. So, 
I I fully expect Gonzaga to make the Final Four just looking at their region. I mean, the, the committee, it feels like they did them a favor given that the two seed, the three seed, and the four seed are all teams that Gonzaga beat in the regular season by double digits. Not to mention, I mean, it sounds like Kansas and Virginia are going to be clear to play, but both of those teams had COVID issues. They had to drop out of their conference tournaments. I think that Virginia isn't even showing up to Indianapolis until Friday, and they have to play on Saturday. Not a great advantage. Um, so, Ben, I do have to ask, though, with Creighton being a five seed, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on them uh, doing a potential run this year? Well, unlike previous years, I don't have Creighton going all the way, but I do have them meeting up with Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. And I've got a lot of faith, faith in uh, Creighton. And... Um, <laughs> I, I won't tell you. I won't tell you how far I've got them going. I'm going to leave you in suspense. But okay. I do have them meeting up with uh, Gonzaga in what to me is going to be a heavyweight uh, SmackDown. All right. So can I, I just ask, like, what what exactly is this Creighton thing with with you? In since- 2018, he picked Creighton <laughs> to make it to the national championship game. When they That's why seed. you had that tweet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. also, um, I mean, again not a college basketball guy. So I draw meaning from a lot of things that other people might not feel like is really, you know, insightful for how they'll do in the tournament. But I know a guy who really likes Creighton basketball. So that he he has influenced me a lot in like the, the culture they have over there. So I always feel like they have a little bit extra, you know, talking culture though. You don't have any concerns about head coach Greg McDermott and some of his late season comments. Uh, refresh my memory, Corey, on those because obviously yeah. I've heard them and I know what you're talking about. But <laughs> he I just lost. Have... <laughs> all right, yeah, he lost. Uh, so Creighton lost a big game late in the season, and uh, when he was like trying to, I guess, like inspire his players or whatever, he uh, he said that they need to stay on the plantation. We can't leave the plantation, and uh, that he kind of got in a, a lot of a lot of trouble for that one. He ended up being suspended for a game. A lot of players were doubting him. Creighton still went to the Big East Championship game, but they got destroyed by Georgetown. So they, they I don't know if that's that's totally gonna ruin their chances, but it, it's definitely kind of put a damper on what was a pretty solid season for them. Listen, I know a lot of people like to look at the postseason tournament as a or the March Madness tournament as an extension of the season, but I look at it as its own tournament. A refresh for Creighton, if you will, uh, a new outlook, a new attitude, uh, a winning attitude uh, that I think is going to take them far. So you don't believe in the hot momentum coming into the tournament? You, no, 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 you no, believe no. It has an influence on it, right? But I think it's an opportunity for Creighton to turn a new leaf, uh, and I and I believe that that's exactly what they'll do. All right, um, let's uh, let's move on and let's kind of go down the bracket and let's talk about the East region. So this is a region that I think a lot of people are looking at as potential upset city. I know that Michigan was really great this season. So I when Michigan beat who was it? it Ohio State. I think it was Ohio. It must have been Ohio State. They, I they remember had a them, big game versus Ohio State earlier. They did late in the season. Yeah, late in the season where they they were both ranked. I don't know, like two and three. Yeah, something like that. I'm pretty sure it was that. I I remember like that happened. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm all in on Michigan. I I, the reason why I'm saying this is because I was having those exact same thoughts as well after that game. And then what did they do? Like two days later, they go out and get destroyed by Illinois, who is missing their best player, Iota Sumo, and. 
it, it it feels like it's really soured my thoughts on Michigan. They also lost to Michigan State late in the year, and I, I can't think of his first name. His last name's Livers. He's Isaiah, injured. I think it is. Is it Isaiah Livers? Yeah, I he's think. hurt. So I think that that's that's a huge loss for Michigan. And you know, two weeks ago, I was ready to pick him to make the uh you know the, all the way to the national championship now i'm questioning whether they'll uh you know survive past the first weekend or even you know past the sweet 16 yeah i same sentiment as as for me as well like i i would have had them going yeah final four national championship after that particular game i thought they played very impressive especially on the road versus uh, a really highly ranked team at the time but yeah, after after that, yeah, they they had a couple of bad losses, and then they've had now Isaiah Livers has a stress fracture injury in his foot, and I can tell you from my basketball experience that a stress fracture in in your foot is not fun. So <laughs> uh, I, that is my expert analysis on the injury, and so I I don't I don't love Michigan's chances as much as I did a month ago, and. Yeah, I think this this is the region, in my opinion, that is the most wide open. Because not only do you have Michigan, but you also have uh, Texas as well, and and, and Alabama. Yep, and then you have Alabama, who uh, they, I, they they won they, the SEC. They won the SEC versus yes. LSU, which which sounds crazy in basketball because you think those two teams <laughs> would be just primarily football, but no, yeah. they, apparently they're both good bas good basketball schools as well, and then. And then Florida State, they have a great offense as well. And then a lot of teams in that region. Yeah. Well, so one team that I'm uh, I'm particularly intrigued by is the Yukon Huskies, who are the seventh seed in this region. So, Brian, it, are you a Yukon fan at all? I feel like you at least were back in the day. No, but I remember one year uh, in our bracket pool, 2011. I won because I was the only one that had a Final Four team make it to the final oh, four. Oh, yeah, that was definitely that year. VCU, VCU. and Butler yeah. were in the final four. And, of course, no one had that. And I'm like, wow, I won because I had UConn <laughs> in my final four. And okay. <laughs> everyone that, else That's probably sucked. what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I don't know if it's the same parallel to that team, but I do kind of feel like they're drawing a lot of parallels to the 2014 National Championship team that was also a seven seed. And this team's led by James Boatnight. And that team was Shabazz Napier, and they just kind of went on this huge run in the tournament all the way to the national championship where they end up winning it. And that's one where I'm kind of back and forth on this because I don't like UConn. Let me just throw that out there. I, I would go as far as to say I hate UConn, but I, I actually hate their women's team more than the I was men's just, team I was because just the women's say, team is like so dominant. I was just about to say that I'm a huge uh, Gino Oriema hater. As as weird as that sounds, I've never liked him, and I'm I was so happy when they lost to Notre Dame <laughs> in the final yeah. four years ago. So well, I'm kind of a on few the same years in a row where they lost in the final four. Now, yeah. um, yeah, no, I my problem with the state of Connecticut is just that half of the state is Yankees fans, even though they claim to be New England. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, so I this know. hatred has this. leaked from one sport to the next, from yes. one gender to the next. Like this is such a uh, web of of hatred. Uh, I sort I'm of agree. So uh, I, I sort of agree with Corey on that. Like <laughs> Connecticut is filled with Yankees fans for whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's I mean they they they'd rather be New York than Boston, and they're like that's fine, but I'm gonna hate you for it. So <laughs> I uh, 
I don't want to see UConn make a run, but I can't help but feel like they're going to. So um, that that's one where I'm kind of torn on both of my brackets. I but I I do really like Texas. I feel like they can they can pull off an upset here, and I also like Florida State. I like Leonard Hamilton. Uh, he's a longtime head coach, and I think it'd be cool to see him um, make his first Final Four appearance after all these years. So let's uh, let's kind of move back to the top of the bracket and let's talk the South region. And Baylor headlines us as a number one seed, and they are a very good program, but they've kind of stumbled down the stretch a little. They lost to Oklahoma State in the uh, Big Twelve semifinals, kind of a big upset. And I'm I'm hoping that this Baylor team that's been struggling is going to show up in the second round of the tournament against my North Carolina Tar Heels so UNC can pull off a nice upset and advance to the Sweet 16. Uh, all that being said, I'm not even sure if UNC is going to be able to beat Wisconsin. So um, it, it kind of feels like Wisconsin is a little underseeded. And I will say I'm annoyed with Joe Lenardi because I went into UNC's ACC semifinal game against Florida State thinking that the Tar Heels were an eight seed. And they lost that game, and it was a three-point game, but they lost. So I was ready for them to be an eight seed. But Lenardi in his bracket put him as a seven. So I was like, all right, seven seed, a little bit better of a chance of uh, pulling off an upset in the second round. And no, the selection committee's like, yeah, Joe, what are you talking about? North Carolina is an eight seed. So a little, little bit of a false sense of security there. It, fe- um, it feels weird yeah. seeing North Carolina as an eight seed. Well, it feels weird not seeing Duke and Kentucky <laughs> yeah. in yeah. the tournament whatsoever. Yeah, North Carolina was an eight seed back in 2013. They lost. They they beat Villanova in the first round, but they lost to Kansas. And I'm kind of expecting something like that to happen again. But I, you know, I'm certainly hopeful that the uh, the big man's uh, at UNC, like Dayron Sharp and Armando Baycott, will be enough to kind of you know get past a team like Baylor. Baylor has a ton of really good guards, though. So we'll see if Caleb Lubb and uh, you know some of the shooters like Walker Kessler and RJ Davis can be enough. History will tell you that they they still have a good chance of getting to that matchup versus Baylor because North Carolina under Roy Williams is 15-0 and 0 in the first round. Now, granted, that was probably against a lot of trash 16 seeds, but th- <laughs> yeah. that would still give me some hope. Uh-huh. So um, in other places in that bracket, I know we had talked about Ohio State before, and I'm, I'm back and forth on them because well, I... Yeah. I, I, if I might interject. Yeah, go for it. I actually have a take for this okay. region of the bracket. Cause it, do they call them regions? Is that Yeah, the, they uh, call it region. Okay. Right. South so region. A lot of people call this the south region of the bracket. I yep. think it should be renamed the mouth region of the bracket because okay. I have a lot of faith in 14 seed Colgate and 15 seed Oral Roberts. Okay. Wow. I've studied the charts and the stats. And I've concluded that these two teams will almost certainly meet in the Sweet 16 to decide once and for all who is the better team. Will it be the minty, fresh Colgate toothpaste boys, or will it be the plaque-ridden halitosis lads of Oral (laughs) Roberts? Nine out of ten dentists agree this is the matchup to watch this March Madness. I will admit, when I was looking at the Arkansas-Colgate matchup, I'm thinking, you know, Arkansas, they got some good players, but... Man, Colgate has some good toothpaste. 
<laughs> I, I, I'll admit that did cross <laughs> about that matchup. I, you know, I mean, you you kind of like say that in like a joking manner, but I actually do like Colgate's chances against Arkansas, and I did actually pick them to upset at Arkansas in one of my brackets. And like, I was kind of going back and forth on that one because a lot of the experts are like, "Oh, this is gonna be a really fast game, really high scoring. Colgate's gonna keep up with Arkansas. They have a chance to pull this one out." But I was like, "It's a 14 seed. Do I want to pick a 14 seed to pull off an upset in my bracket?" And then I remembered in 2018, I picked the 10 seeded Texas Longhorns to make a run all the way to the Elite Eight. It felt like they had a great path, yet they were tripped up by Eric Musselman's Nevada, who ended up making a Sweet 16 run of their own. And then in 2019, I was really high on Nevada after their, their big run. They were a seven seed, and I had them going all the way to the Elite Eight. And yet they lost to Florida in the first round. And ever since then, I've had a vendetta against Eric Musselman. He's now the head coach at Arkansas. And I'm like, you know what? Screw Eric Musselman. I'm taking the Colgate Raiders. So I love your pick of Colgate <laughs> to the Sweet 16, Ben. I, I also had Colgate. And so I've made several brackets as well. And I had Colgate uh, over Arkansas in one bracket. Oh, well, I yeah. just think it says everything you need to know about the American uh, education system when a toothpaste brand can become so popular that not only do they have their own university, but their basketball team is actually quite competitive. So uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. excited to see how they do, regardless of how it pans out. Yeah, and I know you're high on Oral Roberts as well, but I'm, I'm pretty high on the Buckeyes. And honestly, I think that the biggest reason why is because I don't want to pick Baylor to advance to the Final Four and beyond because that means I'm essentially rooting against the Tar Heels if they meet in the second round or I'm rooting against my bracket. So I would rather root against or not root against the Tar Heels and root against my bracket. You know, And even though I'm not a huge Ohio State fan, like I'm, I'm all in on them. Um, Texas Tech Red Raiders. They're a six seed. They were the uh, you know defending De- defending runner ups. Yeah, so they, I think that they're a team that I'm I'm a little nervous about if they can uh, they can make a run, especially if Colgate pulls off the upset of Arkansas and Texas Tech has a little bit of an easier path to the Sweet Sixteen potentially. You know, Colgate. We know how great they are. I don't know if we can call it easy. So we know how minty fresh they are too. So you got to take that into consideration. <laughs> um. All right, and then let's uh, let's kind of wrap things up and talk about the Midwest region. Illinois, top seed headliner. And you know, I, I know, Brian, we talked about this, how we kind of fallen off Michigan. Ever since Illinois pulled off that upset, I've been really high on the Illini. They won the Big Ten Championship, knocking off Ohio State in overtime. So they are a team that, like, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. In my two brackets, I've got Gonzaga and Illinois meeting in the final, with Gonzaga winning one, Illinois winning the other. I will not say which one I have in the He's Done It bracket pool, which if you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday morning, not too late to join. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really high on the Illini this year. Io Sumu and Kofi Coburn, who, by the way, I just want to throw out there, like if you, so I, I play NBA 2K20 a lot and in, uh, one of my franchises, I'm kind of deep into it. I think it's getting ready to start the 2022, 23 season and I cannot have Kofi Coburn be a player in the game because the 2K name, you know, generator thing, it, it won't let you put Coburn because it has C-O-C-K in it. So it's uh, it says, hey, this is a dirty name. You can't do this. It's like, all right, sorry, Kofi. You're like a top 10, top 15 projected pick, but I just can't have you in my NBA. I'll just have to wait for the uh, NBA 2K22 to come out when you're in it in real life. 
So you're already making the assumption that the Illini are going to beat the Loyola Chicago <laughs> Ramblers in the second round. Legendary Loyola Chicago Ramblers, 11 seed, 11 uh, Ramblers in 2018 that made it all the way to the Final Four. You're already making you know, that assumption. It's, it is a tough one for me, especially now that Sister Jean is allowed to be there. She's gotten her COVID vaccine. They're letting her go to Indianapolis, having that good luck charm. And uh, they... Cameron Crutwick, he's a player on Loyola Chicago. He's a third team national All American. So they have like a legit player. They do they do feel underseated. Now they probably don't play as great competition, but they I don't know, an eight seed with the with the record that they have, it feels like they were under one of the teams that yeah. was underseated. I know that they were kind of complaining about that. I mean, if you look at their resume, their big win was over conference rival Drake. Uh, they lost to Wisconsin, who was another ranked team that they played earlier in the season. It's always tough with those mid-majors because they, they look like they're really good. They have this strong record. They're beating up on bad competition. But you just look at some of these other teams that maybe they're not the same kind of uh, caliber when it comes to like win-loss record, but it, they just they it, face a tougher schedule. So. It is pretty difficult to handle mid-majors in your brackets because sometimes you see you see their record and and where they're ranked. Like, oh, I, I'm going to have the, the sexy pick and picking this team that no one has – but they end up falling flat. Sometimes they end up falling flat in the first round. Sometimes the Ram, like a team like the Ramblers, they'll make it all the way to the Final Four. So sometimes it is pretty tricky to figure out if it's a team that can actually beat Illinois or if they're just going to fall uh, flat and lose by 30. I'll never forget in 2010, um, so Kenny, our guest on uh, the last episode, was telling me how he wanted to pick Butler to beat Syracuse in the Sweet 16 because they had a better record in the Syracuse. I was like, that means nothing. Like They have a big record because they're in their Horizon League. Syracuse is in the Big East. Uh, and I convinced him to pick Syracuse. And then, wouldn't you know, Butler pulls <laughs> off the upset of Syracuse, goes all the way to the National Championship game. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kenny, about that one. <laughs> I hope you didn't lose any money on that pick. So. My only take for this region is um, Clemson will wish they had never been invited to the March Madness tournament because they're going to lose embarrassingly uh, to Rutgers in the uh, in the first round, in the round of 64. I, uh, I really hope so. They're going to lose very bigly in a way that many people will agree. And I'm already hearing people say this, that it's going to be so uh, publicly embarrassing that they'll never want to be invited again. Yeah. Nobody wants I, them there, but they're all, they're also not going to want to be there. So, like, you know, it, taking away bias, I don't understand how Clemson is a seven seed when they lost in the quarterfinals. They didn't, or if that, they didn't even win a game in the ACC tournament. Um, actually, I think they were upset by Miami, who is terrible this season, and Georgia Tech won the ACC tournament, and they're a nine seed in the exact same region. It feels like those two teams should be swapped, uh, and that would be great if we could all be Ramblers fans rooting against Clemson. Instead, we got to hope that Rutgers in their first tournament in like 30 years can uh, pull out the win. Um, a couple more thoughts on this. So I do really like the idea of seeing Illinois against Oklahoma State in the Sweet 16 Iota Sumu versus Cade Cunningham. The the Cowboys have been a really fun team lately, and I'm, I'm definitely glad that they are in the tournament because I know there are a lot of questions of whether or not they'd be allowed to play in it. But, hey, suspend them next year when Cade Cunningham is in the NBA is all I got to say. Playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, potentially. Um, and then, uh, so, San Diego State-Syracuse is a matchup that I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on because... I'm really high on San Diego State this year. I know they weren't as good as they were last season, 
when they were potentially going to be a number one seed, um, at the very least a number two seed. But I hate that they're facing Syracuse as an 11 seed in the first round because Syracuse, every other year, they are a bubble team that ends up making the tournament surprisingly this year not even like whether they got in maybe not as much of a surprise with the fact that they're not even in the playing game um i think that's a big surprise and it just feels like this is another team that it's like they're here and now they're going to go on a run so my my san diego state pick advancing deep in the tournament is just going to get absolutely busted by the syracuse orange i'm just going to be mad about syracuse making the tournament even more i swear that every year there's a team that gets crapped on by the media and fans that, oh, this team shouldn't have made the tournament. And then all of a sudden they make a run. VCU that one year yep. that I mentioned earlier, they were crapped on by everyone in the media saying, oh, I can't believe they made it over this team. And then all of a sudden they make it all the way to the Final Four. And then Syracuse as a 10-seed one. Yeah, in 2016. Exact, in yep. 2016, they did the exact same thing where oh, Syracuse shouldn't even be in the tournament. And then they all of a sudden make it to the Final Four. And so I, I don't blame you for having those feelings. And uh now, so for my my thoughts on one of the teams that you mentioned, uh, I kind of do like Oklahoma State a lot, and a big reason for that is because of Cade Cunningham. I remember watching uh, an Oklahoma State. I forgot who they're playing, but they, when I was watching Oklahoma State and, and I saw him, I'm like, oh wow, this guy's this guy is amazing. And I look up NBA mock draft, I'm like, oh, number one overall pick. Okay, so that <laughs> explains it. And yeah, I think yeah. I think every I don't want to say every year, but I feel like a lot of years. There's a team teams that have that that it player the the best player quote unquote best player I I feel like those teams can make really deep runs we saw with Kemba Walker with UConn he made it all the way to the national championship game in one like we talked about with Shabazz Napier with, with UConn also and then Steph Curry with Davidson no one knew about him until the tournament and he he brought the Davidson Wildcats to almost to the final four and I feel like teams with that good of a player can can make can make a deep run so I'm I'm a believer in Oklahoma State yeah I mean as much as I'm high on Illinois they do have a scary path having to go through Sister Jean Loyola Chicago and then Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State if they win that one so it's uh they'll definitely have earned it if they do make it all the way to the final four so do you guys have any other predictions? I mean, we've kind of talked about the each region. If you want to throw out a national championship in Final Four, feel free. Definitely no pressure to. I know I kind of did, uh, even though I didn't necessarily want to. Uh, I got, oh, here's my hot take. So I have talked many times before about how much I don't like Kansas. Ever since Mario Chalmers made that three versus Memphis with five seconds left in the championship game, when I went on and on, with my middle school friends about how good Memphis was, and they made it all the way to the championship. Five seconds left, and they were winning. And then all of a sudden, Mario Chalmers decided to ruin my life. Ever since yeah. then, I <laughs> pretty much despise Kansas. They, and uh-huh. it's not even just that one moment. They ruin it for me every, not only say every year, but mostly every year when it comes to brackets. And Did you pick them and win it all? I picked them to win. Yeah, I, yep. I already know where Same. you're going with this. I picked them to win it all the year they decided to lose to Northern Iowa in the second round. Yeah, so I was not yep. a fan of that. I'll for Oakmanesh. Yeah. Who's the man? I'll admit. Even though I did not enjoy the fact that my bracket was done, I did enjoy yeah. that that dude was pretty good. I'll really always good. remember um, head coach Dana Jacobson retweeting our 
like some comment about voting in our uh, you know greatest moment of the 2010s <laughs> bracket uh, about Ali Farouk Manash in Northern Iowa, only to unretweet it like right away. So <laughs> I don't know you know what caused him to retweet it and rethink about it, but uh, you know it was almost a really cool moment. And I guess we can technically say we were retweeted by a Division One head coach. Yeah. So in other words, my hot take is that Eastern Washington will be three seeded Kansas, who. Even though they were playing great, they got some COVID issues, and who knows what's going on there. And yeah, I'll admit, total bias pick, but I'm, that's that is my pick. I, I'm rooting for, I'm rooting big time for the 14 seeded Eastern Washington uh, Eagles. And, Eagles, yep, and the 14 seeded Colgate. Uh, what is it? Colgate Raiders. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. 14 boys. seeds. Let's go, baby. Yes. <laughs> All right, before we wrap this up, um, just one last thing. So, Brian, you know, we'd been talking about potential segment ideas. One thing that you had thrown out was like trivia, this day in history, something like that. Well, I actually got a like one of those like day by day calendars for Christmas where it is just it's sports trivia facts, you know, this day in history kind of stuff. And I do want to ask the trivia question for today to see if either of you guys know this one. Um, so, the question is, which coach led Michigan to the 1989 Men's NCAA Basketball Championship? And I can already tell by the look on Ben's face that you don't know this one. Um, Brian, do you have any initial thoughts on this? Wait. Dude, so, don't Google it. Well, I'm not Googling it, but like... Oh, I thought you were typing. No. Like what... What? So Michigan 1989 head coach. Yes. yes. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. He was the head coach at San Diego State for a long time, including in 2011 when they had Kawhi Leonard and made a run to the Sweet 16. I I, I would have preferred like initials for for a hint, not okay. not that, but I, I don't I I don't know I have no idea. All right, so yeah, I would I, I would I prefer can, a different hint, but yeah, no, that's okay. So it is uh, it's Steve Fisher. So when I saw this, I was like, oh, I know who it is. It's Steve Alford. And then I flip it over and it said Steve Fisher. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, that's right. Steve Alford was a head coach at UCLA recently. Uh, didn't have a ton of success there. Um, totally two different guys. But yeah, I'll, I'll just read the, the quick wait, factoid here. Well, hmm? what kind of calendar is this? It's like what famous sports people did stuff at obscure... Some <laughs> days it's like on this day you in history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess because it's, it's March... But I, I don't know. It doesn't necessarily say that March 17th is relevant to this. But mm. anyway, um, yeah, that's that's uh, what today's is. So yeah, Steve the, Fisher led Michigan to the 1989 NCAA Basketball Championship. The, uh, at the end of the regular season, longtime Wolverines coach Bill Frieder had announced he would be taking a job at Arizona State next year. Frieder hoped to coach Michigan in the tournament, but athletic director Bo Schembechler turned the controls over to Fisher, who was Frieder's top assistant. Despite the sudden change, Michigan won the national championship as a number three seed, defeating Xavier 92-87, South Alabama 91-82, North Carolina 92-87, Virginia 102-65, Illinois 83-81 in the semifinals, and Seton Hall 80-79 in overtime in the championship game. Yeah, I, the only coach I could think of for Michigan was John Beeline, and he obviously was not coaching them in 1989. So no, that's why I couldn't. I couldn't yeah, think of only, anyone. The only coach I could think of was John Harbaugh, and he certainly wasn't coaching anyone. <laughs> and, and it's Jim, and it's Jim Harbaugh too. Oh, Jim Harbaugh, John. right? Yeah, yeah. his brother. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that'll wrap things up for our March Madness conversation. 
And with that, let's move into our top five. So today at recording, it is St. Patrick's Day. And we decided in honor of the holiday, we're going to count down our favorite Irish things in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. Now, before we get into our top five countdown, uh, we did have our own little internal discussions that we kind of want to talk about here. Basically, kind of a disclaimer, you know, explain our list uh, before we get too far into them. And, um, you know, Brian and I, with the help of Ben, decided that the Boston Celtics do not count here. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where it's like they are they're a team. Their mascot is a leprechaun. They have shamrocks in the logo. But that that's kind of where the extent of the Irish goes. So I, I guess, Ben, I know you were kind of, uh, you know, big on this not making much sense. So, well, I, I looked up the word Celtic and it says relating to the Celts or their languages, which constitute a branch of the Indo-European family and include Irish, Scottish, Scottish, Gaelic, Welsh, Breton, Manx, Cornish, and several extinct pre-Roman languages such as Gaulish. So the Celtic, it's not specifically Irish. Um, and I would argue that the Bostic Celtics are specifically Boston. So I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't put them into the category of Irish things that we could celebrate on St. Patrick's Day. Not saying you can't wear anything green. You can wear a Celtics jersey. I'm not saying you can't do that. But then I started thinking about what about Notre Dame? which is obviously another team and not in Ireland, but and they're literally the fighting Irish. So I think that one actually does make sense to include in your top five if you wanted to, because they're literally Irish. Whether it's the same Irish, you can take that up, but, they're, but their mascot, their team, is literally the fighting Irish. I wish I could go on a long rebuttal and say, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about, but no, I completely agree with everything you said, and I wish I could put the Boston Celtics in my top five because I obviously have, I'm obviously a big fan of the Boston Celtics, but I can't because they're not really Irish and it's really just a Boston thing. And I agree with you on the Notre Dame fighting Irish and that the fact that they have literally the word Irish in their name, it would be okay to put them in our top fives if we had them. But when it comes to the Celtics, yeah, I, I, I can't do it. So um, I, I, I'm kind of back and forth on this one. And the, I, I totally agree with like the Notre Dame fighting Irish. I was very intentional in saying Irish things as opposed to things from Ireland. So you can kind of open it up a little bit more. Um, ultimately, though, I didn't really want to put the Celtics in my top five because it's like, okay, I have to put them near the top of my list of my favorite NBA team. But there are other things that I want to talk about. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Just letting everyone know when it kind of gets to the end, it's like, oh, that's why the Celtics aren't in there for Ben and Brian or for Corey and Brian's list, because, you know, obviously we'd have to put them on there by default. So anyway, with that, let's get into it. I realized that we didn't discuss before the order. So I'm just going to say Ben, me, Brian, Ben, you're our guest. Why don't you lead us off? All right. So this is actually something that I learned about in my uh, the Affable Chat stream community. We are an international community, and one of our Irish viewers uh, introduced uh, the rest of us to this game called Hurling. It's an Irish outdoor team game of ancient Gaelic Irish origin. It's literally ancient. The This game goes way back. 
And um, I'm not going to get into the details of the rules, but it's basically played on a field that's similar size to a rugby field. Players move a ball using their hands and also these axe-looking things called hurlies. Um, And what really makes this game unique is it's absolutely brutal, uh, played with very little protective equipment, making, and this is a quote I got from the Wikipedia, uh, making injuries an unavoidable feature of the game. <laughs> not a problem. It's not an not issue. Not a bug. Not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature. And uh, if you look up some of the highlight plays of this game, it's absolutely uh yeah, it's absolutely brutal. Um, you know, something a little uh, closer to uh, Spartan combat than maybe what we're used to in our modern day sports. Uh, but it's definitely Irish. So uh, that's why it's number five on my top five Irish things. Yeah, Brian, had you ever heard of hurling before? Nope. Honestly, I, I recommend looking into it. Like, I, even just going back and watching the stream, I think that it was uh, a very entertaining. And, like, I kind of wish that I was on video as well, just because my reactions were just like, wow. <laughs> what all all the blood on these guys like I, I was looking at you know wikipedia as well they didn't even le- make like helmets required until 2010 at all levels like kids didn't have to till 2009 and they're playing this game it's it is a it is a brutal sport so. yeah and there's like a special rule for like and you get like extra substitutions if your players get too bloody like like if you get blood on their jersey like <laughs> yeah. you, you get to have like a temporary sub while that guy gets his like shirt cleaned up or something it's it's very much like i said a feature of the game yeah wow all right well my uh my number five is also a sport uh, unlike hurling it's not one that's exclusively played in ireland or really even associated with ireland these days but it was at least the modern version of the game originated in ireland in the 1830s and that is croquet now i have not played croquet in probably about a decade uh you know sometime going back to to early high school but my uh my neighbor franz had a croquet set and we used to play a ton over the summer in middle school and we, it was almost so much fun playing it, uh, way more fun than I would have ever thought to have. And we, we often would play either in his backyard or in mine, but it got really awesome when we decided to start in his backyard and then have to hit the ball all the way down the hill and get it into my backyard to finish it up. A uh, lot of great memories playing croquet. I can't say that I think I'm going to play it again. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would necessarily intentionally not play it, but uh, you know, this is one where I really wanted to include it just because I have so many fond memories of playing it as a kid. And uh, I thought it was it was kind of kind of cool when I saw, okay, it kind of originated in Ireland, even though it's very much an English sport, it counts my number five. I like how you referred to Franz as your neighbor and not friend, even though we've mentioned him well, the last yeah, several like times. Saying neighbor specifically to say talk about the fact that we oh, could yeah, play my, at my, each other's My houses. neighbor, Franz. Not not that I really know him or anything, but as a friend, but yeah, my whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh so for my number five, I went with the Dropkick Murphys, uh an Irish band that's really well known and associated with the city of Boston and I definitely like a few of their songs, uh, one of them being uh, Tessie, uh, which was played in the baseball game MVP Baseball 2005, which is arguably my favorite baseball game, and that song definitely gives me good memories of that video game, even though that game was made 
15, 16 years ago, it's it still holds up, I think, as still the one of the best baseball games. And I also like that the the song uh, Hang 'em High, which is also in another in another video game, but in NHL, which I like. And then Shim- shipping up to Boston always played whenever Jonathan Pavlon would come out of the bullpen to close out the game uh, for the Red Sox, which which brings memories of that as well. So I went with Dropkick Murphys as my number five, uh, and I, uh, I I think it deserves to be there. Okay, uh, so moving on to my number four, I have Bailey's Irish Cream. Definitely one of the first things that comes to mind for me when I think of Irish things. It's very simple. It tastes great, and it gets you messed up. You know, it's uh, my favorite way to consume it is in coffee. If you're going to start drinking in the morning, uh, then Bailey's Irish cream is definitely a good, uh, tr- a good option. So you can have it with your coffee. So I like uh, both of the answers you guys just gave. I don't want to, you know, respond too much to them just yet. But uh, my number four is the movie The Irishman. This is a uh, mafia mobster movie. Starring Joe Pesci, um, Robert De Niro, and it's directed by Martin Scorsese. And this is uh, a movie that kind of tells you a potentially real, most likely fake story about um, Jimmy Hoffa, the, uh, the the head of the Roadsters in Detroit in the, the 60s and 70s. Um, and... I, I I really enjoyed this movie when I watched it when it came out. It's on Netflix, three and a half hours long. <laughs> we my family and I watched it in two sittings. We couldn't watch it all at once. But my dad is a huge fan of uh, you know that this genre, so he uh, he made sure that we all watched it. And my only regret is that I watched this before finally watching Goodfellas and Casino, which you know starred those guys because they're they're better movies. You know they're they're classics from the '90s, but I big fan of The Irishman. I think it was a well deserving movie as uh you know one of the at least finalists for best picture in uh the the 2019 you know the 2020 Oscars. So uh you know when I when I thought of Irish, this is one thing that kind of came to mind. Given the title is just The Irishman, and never read the book. I heard you paint houses, but you know I I uh, did did really enjoy this movie. So isn't it uh, a super Super long movie, would you say? Yeah, three and a half yeah, hours. Three long. and a half hours. Yeah, that's. I don't that's know if obscenely I could... long. As yeah. a person yeah. who watches a lot of movies, three and a half is pushing it. It that's is. Like, I know. I... It's. It, it was. Uh. It's definitely something that it makes sense to break up, and uh, I think that. I can't remember if we watched it in two or even three parts because, like, there there is a way that you know, as someone came up with, where it's like you basically turn it into a mini series, forty five minutes each, but. I don't know. I think it got to the point where, like, we just want to keep going because we were enjoying it so much. But at the same time, it's like it hits. We can't watch this all in one. Well, night. yeah, it's interesting when you put it that way because you're like, uh, if you're watching a really good TV show, like three and a half hours is just a nice binge, you know. So it's yeah. like uh, you you can definitely take it different ways. Netflix, it's not actually. Um, it wouldn't be unprecedented for Netflix to break up a movie that way. We recently watched The Hateful Eight on affable chat and we talked about how netflix made it into a four-part 
miniseries uh, that is really? the extended cut. Yes, you can still uh-huh. watch the original theatrical cut, but the extended cut has been turned into four episodes, complete with a uh, introduction and a uh, credits for each episode. And uh, you can skip it, obviously, because it's Netflix. But each the, the second, third, and fourth episodes begin with a recap, just in case you like you know spend some time in between watching them. So um, this could be another one that it might be good for. Um, because three and a half hours again, jeez. Yeah, three three and a half hours <laughs> yeah. is super long. I think the longest movie that I've ever watched and enjoyed was King Kong, and I think that was three hours and fifteen minutes. I think, and it was great, but yeah, three hours is definitely definitely a long time. But and, and then I've been told to, I was I've been recommended to watch The Godfather a lot of times, but then every time I look at how long it is, I don't, I don't know if I could watch it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's that's three movies that yeah. are that long too. Yeah. All right. So for my number four, this is a very vague, generic answer, but I think Irish pubs are are just fun to go to. That's that's my number four choice. Uh, the one in Nashua is called Peddlers. There's and- actually two in Nashua. There's also Killarney's and a Holiday Inn Express. Oh, that's okay. also it's also cool. But yeah, I know Peddlers Daughter is yeah, the yeah. number one. I'll let you continue. But yeah, like pet. Peddlers is definitely the probably the more known one, of course, since I didn't even know the other one. Uh, but yeah, like that's a it's a decent bar to go to, and I like that there's a lot of music going on. And I feel like that happens in any Irish pub that you go to, and I I just like the scenery in, in Irish pubs. I don't know if if you guys would agree or or not, but I think yeah. it's an enjoyable oh, experience. I I do as well. And like Ben, have you been to Ireland? I yes, but I only the Dublin airport. <laughs> oh, okay. So I had a beer. I did have a yeah. beer at the Burger King because they serve oh, beers yeah. at Burger King in Dublin. Uh-huh. But I no, I haven't actually really been to Ireland. Okay. I can say I was that. Ask if you've been to a real Irish pub. No, I mean the, I will say to bolster your argument that Irish pubs belong on this list. Uh, Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I'm originally from, the like young people like actually hopping bar is a. Uh, is an Irish pub. Um, I forgot what it's called. It's O something or other, like O Callahan's or something like that. Yeah. But it's like not necessarily because it's an Irish pub. It's the most popping off, but it it happens to be, in my opinion, the best bar, and it's also an Irish pub. Yeah, uh, there's a there's like a restaurant that I, my my roommate and I like to go to in Raleigh called O'Malley's, and it, I mean it, it has the kind of pub vibe with like really tight space tables, and uh, it does seem very authentic. But I mean, every time we've gone, it's it was just like going for brunch back in the day. Like we've never gone there. Just it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. We don't just go there to drink with like the the older crowd, but. Actually, okay, correction. It's called Connolly's, and the reason I can never remember it's Connolly's because I always am like, it's oh something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Irish pubs are uh-huh. cool. So, is it me? No, it's Ben. No. Oh, is it me? Sorry. Ben's number um, three. Yep. Yes. Okay, so for my number three, um, I went with an actor, and uh, it was an easy choice, actually, when I Googled Irish actors. Michael Fassbender is my number three. Uh, he's in general a great actor who happens to be Irish, but just he's had some really iconic roles. He was uh, a British officer in Inglorious Bastards, which is just a, a great movie. Um, and but he also played Carl Jung in A Dangerous Mind. He plays Young Magneto in the Fox X Men movies. He was a like he played a slave owner in Twelve Years a Slave, which is an amazing movie. Uh, and he also played Steve 
Jobs in the Steve Jobs biopic, which that's an ex- insanely iconic person to uh, portray. But I have to say my favorite Michael Fassbender role is uh, when he plays Frank in the movie Frank, which is a very weird artsy movie. And it's really, the, I think what really um, makes me like Fassbender in this role is he humbles himself to play such a bizarre character in an indie film. So um, if you want to see something that's kind of out of the box, but also features great acting from Fassbender, check out Frank. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did the search on Irish actors. I, I remember that name, like when I saw it in your list, but I, I, I didn't necessarily recognize him from any of his roles. So, uh, I, I couldn't include him on there, but like you definitely were kind of thrown out once. I was like, okay, I like kind of know of that. So, uh, my number three is uh one that Brian and Ari talked about the dropkick Murphys and, this one, it kind of feels like it's pushing it a little because they're technically American, but I think that they're at least Irish American. A lot of them, they they call themselves Celtic punk. So this kind of goes back to the you know the Boston Celtics. Uh, I should argument. I should have said Irish American, but yeah. yeah um, but I mean, regardless, they're, they're, uh, a lot of their music was actually inspired by Irish music, and you can definitely tell that. I mean, the song "I'm Shipping Up to Boston." Same thing with Brian. I love that song because of you know Jonathan Papelbon's closing music. It's always fun, you know, back in the day when you're at Fenway Park in like 2009, and it's uh you know the end of the eighth inning, and you hear dun 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 dun, and you get like fire on the the board because the Jonathan Papelbon's the closer, like getting ready to close it out. I was like, ah, just so many great memories. Like Brian, I'm sure you agree. Like the the 2000s Red Sox like that was when baseball was in our heyday as as fans like I I, I do I agree with that days. I've been bitching about that for like five I know, I know. for like five years yeah, yeah that yeah. was that was the heyday for the Red Sox and baseball yeah uh, so uh and then of course the song you also mentioned Tessie and it was written during the 2004 season so originally Tessie was actually a song by a play that was sang at the old you know Huntington Avenue grounds back in 1903 when the Boston they're called the Pilgrims or the Americans I forget they they won the World Series and um the Dropkick Murphys they they were as part of a thing with some other people to uh to bring back the song maybe give some life to the Red Sox they actually performed it live at Fenway Park on a day in July 2004 and the Red Sox actually won that game on a, a Bill Miller walk-off three-run homer against Mariano Rivera really cool Huge fan of that. I always love wh- listening to Tessie whenever the Red Sox are in the playoffs. And then I'm shipping up to Boston as one where that's a lot of people have known that it gained a lot of national prominence from being in um, The Departed, the uh, best picture in 2006. And it's uh, certainly has a lot of feel with Boston, especially given that it's in the chorus and the name. So Dropkick Murphy's number three. All right. So for my number three, I went with Rory McElroy a golfer on the PGA Tour, a very accomplished one as well. Even though he hasn't won a major in, I think, six years now, he de- he still has four majors uh, it, dating back to, I think his last one was, yeah, 2014. And even though he hasn't won a major in a while, he's still a very accomplished golfer, and I uh, he's a very fun to watch. He's one of the longest drivers on tour, and he's... He's great to listen to in interviews as well, and he's very thoughtful about uh, all the any issues that are going on in the PGA Tour. And I think he's just excellent for the game. I wouldn't say he's 
my number one favorite that definitely still belongs to Bryson DeChambeau, but Rory's definitely pretty high on the list in terms of my favorites. So I so yeah, Rory McIlroy is my number three. Is he going to win another major anytime soon? Uh, he's still looking for that green jacket. That's the one he's missing. And I'm surprised he hasn't won there because I think his game fits perfectly there. But He maybe... he had a huge collapse one time, right? Yeah, so I was think it was it at 20... the Masters? Yeah, no, it was at the Masters. I don't remember the exact year. I think it was 2011, if I had to guess. I don't remember exact the okay. exact, exact year. But yeah, he was leading in the final round at one time and he just straight up collapsed. But that was when he was... Really, it was really early in his career, but but he's been he's contended many times, but he still hasn't <laughs> got the job done. Yeah, so we'll see if that happens this upcoming April or not. Okay, well, moving on to my number two, uh, it's a specific Irish pub. Uh, I went with Patty's Pub, which is the bar from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, and this is more of just like I kind of want to just put the whole show here is my number two just to give them some props so last year it's always sunny in philadelphia it got renewed for their 15th season making it the longest running live action comedy series in american television history and then late last year they got renewed for four more seasons uh so they're going to be there's more it's always sunny on the way and the reason this is a good thing is because Despite being really far into the history of It's Always Sunny, they continue to be hilarious. They're not just, they're not flanderized. They're not like The Simpsons where it's like a ghost of their former selves. They continue to uh, break the mold even 15 seasons in, and we expect them to keep doing that through all the seasons that they're extended through. Uh, So Taddy's Pub is where that show takes place, Uh, a, a, you know, iconic Irish pub. And um, that's why it's number two on my top five Irish things. That reminds me that I should watch the uh, St. Patrick's Day episode of uh, It's Always Sunny because, I mean, that, that was one. My, my old roommate was a huge fan of it, so he would always watch it, and he'd always make sure that I watched it when we lived together. It was a very uh, very funny show. And, like, it's not a show that I've, like, watched all the way through, but every time I've watched it, I've, I've had zero regrets. Yeah, and it's it's the type of show you can just drop into. Like, each episode mm-hmm. is very much standalone, and old, so many of them are quality. Yep. So my number two is flavored potato chips. So until the 1950s, there was no such thing as a flavored potato chip. It was just your your plain old chip or crisp, and uh, you know maybe had some salt on it, but there was no no pizzazz to it until Joseph Spud Murphy came along. And Spud Murphy was an Irishman who was tired of having plain flavorless chips, and he decided to create a cheesy onion chip and a salt and vinegar chip. And sixty years later or 70 years later, we have so many options when it comes to chip variety. I mean, you look at Lay's, they're coming out with new chips all the time. You know, pretty much any brand of chips is going to have something beyond just an original plain flavor. And I I must say, I, I don't necessarily live the chip life in the same way Ben does, but I, I definitely enjoy chips, and I definitely enjoy chips that have a little, little flavor to them. Salt and vinegar, cheddar, those are usually my two go-tos. So very thankful of Spud Murphy for this uh you know, wonderful invention of his. Yeah. Wow. That is really uh, good information, good history there, because uh, imagine living in the pre flavor era of potato chips, (laughs) probably a lot less to get hyped about. Yep. I'm amazed how often 
the chip life is brought up on, it's, on, the, on this podcast. It, it might be the most relatable lifestyle there is. It's so easy to get into. All right. So for my number two, I went with the script. And for those who don't know what or who the script is, the script is uh, a Irish band uh, formed about a dozen years ago or so. And they definitely have some great music that I enjoy a lot. Uh, a pop rock rock band and they've had some of my favorite songs include break even the man who can't be moved which are definitely romantic songs but they also have uh, very inspirational songs like uh, superheroes and my personal favorite is hall of fame uh, it's def it's definitely one of my favorite songs or my favorite song from their band and they've i've always listened to their music dating back to when they formed and i still listen them to to this day so uh, I went with the script as my number two choice. I love Break Even. I, I had no idea the script was Irish, so that's a good one. You know more the script songs than I do. Like I know Hall of Fame. I don't know if I know the others, but uh, definitely a big fan of Break Even for the, for the script. Okay, and uh, to round it out with my number one, this was uh, the first thing I wrote down. No need to overthink it. My favorite Irish thing is St. Patrick's Day festivals. Uh, you know, it's an excuse to day drink in whatever city you live in. I know I'm partial to Columbia, South Carolina's uh, St. Patrick's Day in a five points festival, but uh, every city has their own tradition and it's not, I mean, it's pretty easy to me uh, to do. It's not, uh, it's hard to mess up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All you got to do is uh, head down to your favorite bars and drink. And uh, I can't wait to celebrate this tradition normally uh, next year. You know, I, I think that because, you know, we we're doing this in honor of St. Patrick's Day, it just totally slipped my mind to even include St. Patrick's Day on here. But uh, I absolutely agree with you. Very deserving number one. Uh, so Joey Molinero, who I bring up on the podcast a lot, he, he tweeted out something earlier today where it's like top holidays as a kid. And it's like, you know, Christmas, Halloween, Easter, 4th of July, and then dot, 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 20 St. Patrick's Day. And then top holidays as an adult, Christmas, Thanksgiving, St. Patrick's Day. And I'm like, absolutely. I did not care less about St. Patrick's Day before I turned 21. And then as soon as I've been able to like drink publicly on St. Patrick's Day, it's been uh, one of my favorite holidays out there. So, um, well, so for my number one, it's something that Ben also has on his list and has to do with drinking it's not guinness it's not jameson but it is the third part of an irish car bomb and that is bailey's irish cream no better way to start a morning than adding a little bailey's irish cream to your coffee whether it's as a traditional irish coffee or just you know you're you're doing it you know it's keeping it simple and i I, I think that now is the time that I kind of talked about this to kind of explain why I didn't include Guinness on my list. So I'm a huge fan of stout and porters. And because of that, to me, Guinness is basically, it's just the Bud Light of them. And like, if I'm going to drink a stout and porter, I would rather have like a nice craft beer that, you know, maybe has a higher ABV than the four point, whatever that Guinness offers. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. So I huge fan of Bailey's. I love that. You know, throw it in coffee, throw it in whatever to uh, you know, add a little alcohol to it. But yeah, Guinness just couldn't make the cut for me for that reason. It was it was one where I was like, should I throw it on there just to do it? And I in the end I came up with five things that I like better. So All right, so for my number one, I went with 
Liam Neeson. And what's funny about this pick is that dating back to my my first ever top five, we did top five Brian's. I put Brian Mills in my list, and that was Liam Neeson's character in the movie Taken, which is one of my favorite movies. And I love Liam Neeson. He's such a great actor, very intimidating in all of his roles from not not just Taken, but a few other movies as well, like uh, nonstop. And even he was even in Ted 2 for a bit. Uh, for for a couple minutes, and and he was he his part was so funny when he was asking Ted about the trick cereal. So you're telling me that if I get this, this is only for kids. This tricks are for kids. <laughs> and, he, and he's and he was saying it in the manner like he wasn't taken. <laughs> he was like the exact same guy, and it was awesome. And uh, I'm definitely a huge Liam Neeson fan. And I think out of all dating back to that top five and all the top fives that. I've been a part of. I think Liam Neeson Tate slash Taken is probably like my most popular choice in top fives. If I had to guess which one it is, I I I might have put him. This might be like my it's it's fourth or fifth there. time yeah. that I've mentioned Liam Neeson or Taken in a top five. What if we? Yeah, it. I, I'm I'm I love Liam Neeson. I love the movie Taken and other and the other movies he's been in. So I I had to put him number one. Yeah, I mean, we even watched Taken one time after recording a podcast in your basement. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> it has true. a lot of association with this. I'm not surprised at all. You put Liam Neeson as your number one. I was I was definitely expecting him to be pretty high up on your list. That is fine. So. I don't even i the <laughs> I don't even remember that. But the fact that you do is like all right. Yeah, I, that's probably something that I did. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that'll uh, that'll wrap things up for our top five as well as for this episode. So you know, just real quickly, the uh, March Madness is coming up. If uh, if you want to join our bracket pool, he's done it. You have until Friday at noon to do so. Hopefully, you listen to this early enough. If you uh, you know haven't joined yet, that you still can. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, text, however you know me. However is the best way for you to contact me. We'll get you set up with that. And join the uh, He's Done It Discord so you can That's talk right. trash. That's right. I forgot to plug that. Yes. In the uh, during March Madness. Yeah, Ben Ben made us create a Discord, so that's uh, definitely something you should also check well, out. Well, listen, I am a loyal listener to He's Done It. I listen to every episode, and there's a lot of times where I want to talk to the other people to hear their opinions. I can text you guys, which of course, but I've already heard your takes. I listen to the episode. I want to hear the other He's Done It guys, uh, you know, the, the He's Done It community, what they think. So I think that's a great place, a great forum for us to discuss. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. So, um, you know, definitely if if you're interested, well, I'll, I'll just have to tweet it out, I guess, and we'll kind of go from there. I'll make sure that it, that goes on the socials so others can find us. And like you said, talk about the bracket and just other things. So, Ben, of course, your your own podcast, Twitch stream, Affable Chat. Just search Affable Chat. In the beginning. Literally yep. Google Affable Chat and you'll find everything. Yeah. You named your bracket Affable Chat. Well. Yeah, well, my inclusion in Corey's fantasy sports stuff is just another ad for my content. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was your name in our fantasy football league as well. Yep. <laughs> All right, so for our guest host, Benjamin Carlson, and uh, my co-host, Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.